Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis. I'm Shirley Washington. You know, families who have lost loved ones to gun violence are working together to fight crime in the Gateway City area. We'll tell you about Better Family Life's MOVE initiative. But first, the Miriam organization has been educating students with learning disabilities for more than a century. Tonight, we learn more about their unique programs that help youngsters thrive in and out of the classroom. Joining me now is Dr. Sue Jackson. She's the founding head of school for Miriam Academy. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Thank Jackson. You. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the history of the Miriam organization. Give us sure. a brief background on it. Sure, so it was established almost 100 years ago and uh, a group of women came over and they wanted to care for the, un, uh, the unmet needs of the community. So it started as an outreach taking care of children and families in need and it grew to an elementary program where they would educate children kindergarten through third grade and then it went to eighth grade. And so um, kids that just didn't fit into traditional school that needed some extra help and then it more focused on learning disabilities and more complex learning disabilities and that has evolved into kids with Asperger's, high-functioning autism, language impairment, um, and some social needs that really can't be addressed in a larger traditional school. So uh, Miriam's mission is to help families, not just the children, but families too, and provide resources to them too. So tell me about the kinds of programs that are available to the children. Sure, so our school has been um, over on Bacon Avenue, and that's the K through eight program, Miriam School. It's actually a school with about 100 students that's there that has unique ways of helping kids, very small learning environments, focusing on um, occupational therapy, social needs, as well as academics. Then we have our Miriam Learning Center that does um, outreach, and that was established about 13 years ago and they help in um, charter schools and public schools that maybe they don't have the resources such as an occupational therapist, a psychological examiner, um, a speech therapist, and they could um, outsource them into those communities too to help in those learning communities. They also do diagnostic testing and evaluation. So that Miriam Learning Center is really encompassing its service is over a thousand students like that. Wow. So that's really good. And then our switching post is our resell it shop and it's been around for about 50, 60 years. And it's like an upscale um, resell it shop, oriental rugs, furniture, things like that. All that money, it's in Brentwood um, area by Hanley Industrial Court and um, all the money from that, and it's you know over half a million dollars goes towards tuition assistance to help our families pay for the private school tuition. And then um, last but not least, Miriam Academy, the first of its kind high school in St. Louis. So again, um, that um, outreach of our students, helping them with learning disabilities in the grade school is now for the high school too. So it's a unique program, um, very small, 55 students we have so far, hoping to go up to about 100 as we add a grade every year. So we're in our third year 
of the high school. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. So do the students have to have diagnosis before they Most of enrolled? them do, they don't have to. Usually by high school, um, families learn that, families have discovered that usually their child just doesn't fit into that traditional school learning environment. They've known about it for a while. Most of the families by high school do have a diagnosis of some sort. It could be a medical, it could be an educational diagnosis like high functioning autism. But sometimes ADHD, um, social anxiety, that seems to be a big, you know, kids are anxious about going to school and maybe they have been for a few years. And so we try to make it a smaller, warm, nurturing environment for the kids. So tell me about the kinds of programs that are available for each grade level, because I know right, they're all different. Right, right, right. So we do, so it's a traditional high school and they get a regular high school diploma, a 24 credit high school diploma. All the academics, they would have everything like is English and they have a reading strategies class. Um, we have chemistry, biology, just traditional business courses like you would in any other high school. Um, what's unique is we have a lot more opportunity to do project-based when kids are interested in doing something different, such as we had a student come in, um, a teacher brought a computer from home, and the student learned how to write. Um, his writing project was how to take apart the computer and how to put it back together. Oh, wow. And that was his whole writing assignment. So for a reluctant writer to do a project like that, and it was his grade was based upon the teacher putting the computer back together and if it would work. So unique projects like that that might take a few weeks to do, we can do that in a smaller learning environment. Um, we also do um, a lot with focusing on social skills. We can have an interpersonal communication class and work on interviewing skills because our kids are getting to be 15, 16, 17, and they want to get that first job. And so we help with that. So by having small classes like that with a counselor and um, speech therapist and people on staff to help support how to grow those learning skills, those soft skills is really important. So um, we, during the summertime, we actually set up job internships our kids so the freshmen work at the switching post nice. which really helps with just customer service so soft skills um, but they also move around the furniture and roll up the rugs and carry things out for people work the cash register fix things that come in some kids are really handy like that so it builds up their confidence and their and their resume and their job skills and then our sophomores work out in the community we've had some contacts with like our Kirkwood business partners um, the library uh, maybe Jason's Deli uh, nursing home a hairdresser so just the staff have connections like that. And so our kids are placed there for some paid and some unpaid internships. And then junior year, we, we partner with uh, Voc Rehab, which is a wonderful state agency. Voc Rehabilitation um, comes in and actually um, evaluates our students and prioritizes them and then gives them a job coach. And so they're gonna be working at different places this summer, such as um, Aquaport here in Maryland Heights or Home Goods our marshals. So we're really excited about those opportunities for the kids to actually um, grow those strengths and figure out how they can work in the workplace too. Yeah. Um, in addition, we do a lot of career opportunity too. We do a lot of career interest inventories and take a lot of um, college visits too with the kids. Some of them are college bound. So by giving those experiences to the kids in a very small nurturing environment, it boosts their confidence and partnering with our parents too is very important. Absolutely, and I'm sure you have a lot of success stories about some we of do. the students. We do, we do. Care to share a couple? Well, we do, we have a couple <laughs> of them, sure. We had a student come to us from a very small Jewish school and um, he struggled with his social interaction skills, very, very bright young man. 
um, and recently took the ACT and had a 35 on it. That's and so awesome. we were really excited about that and has grown his personal skills, his social skills, his, his communication skills and really developed his personality, making some friends in a small environment when you only have 20 kids in a class um, in your grade you know, and you have smaller class sizes of six to eight, you can really um, nurture and grow those um, social skills too. And how do you do that? Because social skills mm -hmm. are so important. Mm -hmm. I think by just like right in time, um, when staff actually talks to kids, if they see a conflict or they see someone make a comment or their interaction is reluctant by stepping in and just talking through it. So we do a lot of just-in-time redirection that maybe in a class of 25, a larger class that you wouldn't be able to do. So our staff is you know, special ed certified as well as some content area and they can just take that time. They don't feel that pressure of pushing through the curriculum. We can take time out for that. When you only have you know, eight students in a class, 10 students in a class, you can do that. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the advantage, the small size of that. Um, and then just like on field trips, we just visited Lindenwood University just a few days ago. So when, when you're together with the students in a group and they're asking questions, you can take time to answer their questions about career paths or um, what kind of courses you would need. And you can just take that time and extend the learning in the classroom outside the classroom. So um, we do pretty many field trips like that and that gives them that experience going out and working with their social skills, asking questions. Right, so is the school accredited? It is accredited, thank you for asking that. Yeah, through Isaacs, which is the independent schools of the central state, so much like a lot of the other private schools in St. Louis. So we, we just earned that accreditation after two years, so we were very proud of that. But along with Miriam School, the K through eight school had gone through accreditation too, so we were about two years behind them with getting our accreditation. So a lot of that because of our Miriam organization, the foundation, our board of directors, 28 members on our board of directors, we were able, the same financial status and things like that, we were able to earn accreditation a little quicker than probably some programs because of our fine setting in the Miriam community like that. And then what about parents who are interested in having their children attend the schools? What should they do? Are you accepting sure. students? We do. We have rolling admissions because sometimes um, it, you just get to a spot where it's just not working for you in middle school. Our, our kids are just struggling or sometimes there's a medical need or they were out of school for a while because of because of a issue or a medical need or some other kind of emotional need. Um, so parents will contact us. We just had some students enroll a few weeks ago and so we're looking at you know when they have exit credits coming in from their other school and sometimes it's a job move and parents will move here for different reasons. So we do have rolling admissions but we still go through the file and most of the students will have um, a variety of different types of learning disabilities, like I said, are um, just social needs that parents want them in a smaller environment and just give a lot of personal attention to them. Yes, and it sounds like they get it at your school. Dr. Sue Jackson, thank yeah, you so much for joining us. Thank we you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. When we come back, we're going to show, show you how parents in St. Louis are working together to fight crime. Stay with us. We are back in a moment. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for The Pulse of St. Louis. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. You know, St. Louis area families who have lost loved ones to gun violence are not only talking about their loss and their heartache, but they're working together to do something about it. Joining me now, Sharon Crossland, James Clark. He's the Vice President of Community Outreach with Better Family Life, and Bernita and Clint Fowler. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. James, let's start the conversation talking about the MOVE initiative. What exactly is it? 
We started uh, the MOVE initiative uh, shortly after the Ferguson upheaval um, because I began getting phone calls, uh, literally like five or ten a day. Uh, Mr. Clark, my father was killed and the community said nothing. Mr. Clark, my mother was killed and the community said nothing. My brother was killed. And I would say shortly after about 50 phone calls like that, it struck a chord in me saying that we do not do enough to embrace the families uh, who have lost loved ones to gun violence. And so we thought it appropriate to uh, start the move to bring the families whose voices and whose pain uh, should serve as a spark for us to be active against gun violence. So that's the premise is for us to begin to put the focus where it needs to be. This is the biggest crisis facing the African-American community today. And, we, and, and we're too silent about it. So the move is our attempt to say to the African-American community, yes, when a police officer kills an African-American, we must have a defense for that. Uh, if a non-African-American kills an African-American, we must uh, have a defense for that. But when we kill each other, we're far too silent. And the silence is what's so hurtful. We don't say anything about it. So, so we have to begin to mobilize and we need a movement now. And in order to have that movement, you have to have the passion from the people whose lives have been changed for multiple generations by the gun violence that we heap on each other. Sharon, you know exactly what he's talking about in terms of losing a loved one to gun violence. Tell us about your loss. I actually lost my son, Carl Frederick Tabb Jr., to gun violence. He was killed in my home. Um, he was 30 years old. Coming home and finding my son laying on the floor, um, nothing could have prepared me for that. And each day, it is a challenge just to think about him and to remember him, how he was, and then how I found him. Uh, sometimes it's crippling. So I definitely understand what he says when he means that, you know, when he says that we need to move, we need to do something. Um, we are silent and we are way too silent because every day uh, African-American is killing another African-American. Another black person is being killed on the streets, especially in the city of St. Louis. and we you know, need to do something. We need to stand up and be vocal about it. Did they find out what happened to your son? No. Who did it? Any arrest? No, they have not. And um, it's very hard sometimes to get information from the detective that was supposed to be on the case. Um, it's hard to get phone calls back. Um, and usually when I have spoken with him in the past, you know, he would uh, question me as to me finding out what happened. Um, and that's just, that's just unacceptable to me. So me calling him just has kind of went on the back burner because every time I've called, it would be, well, what have you heard? Well, have you seen anything? Did someone come to you and tell you something? How would I know? I work every day, you know, and at that time I was in school. I worked, I went to school. I had no idea what was going on. So no, they haven't. What do you want to see happen right now? What I want to see happen in terms of uh, the person. And or, justice for your son. Oh, I would love 
for them to find out who killed my son. I wouldn't want anything to happen to him uh, on the streets of St. Louis. I would like for him to spend the rest of his life in jail. I don't want anybody to do um, justice for him on the streets because that's another mother that's being hurt, losing her child. Uh, that's not gonna serve anything and it definitely won't bring my son back. So I would really like for him to be caught or them to be caught, whoever it was, and for them to uh, spend time in jail. Mr. and Mrs. Fowler, you suffered a great loss as well. Mrs. Fowler, tell us about your son. So our son, Cameron Chase Fowler, he was uh, murdered December 9th, so it's still pretty fresh for us, and then his birthday's tomorrow. So it's just an everyday challenge, you know, to get up, keep going, and you know, not miss him. I mean, I miss him constantly. Uh, he was a good kid. You know, we never seen it coming. You know, it's not like something was going on. Don't know anything about it. You know, some people say, oh, there was a um, confrontation. Um, you know, just nothing. You know, there, we do know people know who did it, you know. But uh, of course, they stay silent. And it's unfortunate because, you know, this is a guy that, uh, you know, killed our son with no hesitation, no remorse, and he's still out there. So he can do it again. Mr. Yeah. Fowler, tell me about your son. What was he like? Well, <clears throat> it was a big loss for me because we sent my son to Rankin for two years to do uh, body work, which that's what I do. And I have a small shop, and I was looking forward to him taking over the shop this Issue. year. This come May, but now that he's gone, uh, it's just really kind of hard for me. And I'm, even though it took place in December, I still have a lot of problems, you know, focusing on it right now. So my biggest loss is not to have him there with me. And then I see pictures, and that you know, and it just take me away. So tell me about the support system that's in place and tell me what do you gain from being involved in the MOVE initiative? I mean, do you support each other? Do you talk to each other, Sharon? And Mr. and Mrs. Fowler, I mean, do you talk with other families who are going through what you're going through? So with this being so new with us, um, our first vigilant we did this past Saturday and then on what night was that? I can't remember. Monday. Monday night was our first time. And it was different because, you know, you saw so many different family members there. And when uh, everyone spoke of their loss, I actually couldn't speak at that point, you know. But, um, yeah, it's something I want to be a part of. I mean, I can see the importance of it. I can see all the hurt people. And, you know, we have that in common. They're hurting. I'm hurting. He's hurting. You know, we you know, want life to be better. James, talk about that because it is so traumatic to lose a loved one, and yeah. especially to lose one in such a violent, violent manner. Yeah. And that impact is devastating. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, it hurts your heart, it hurts your mind. I mean, your whole body just aches. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. So, so there has to be a support system in place to help families who have lost loved ones deal with that kind of grief because 
that's got to be the worst type of grief for a yeah. parent to lose a child. You know, you know, it's uh, immeasurable. Uh, you know, I, I take my hat off to Miss Crossland uh, because she lost her son, but then she lost other members of her family. Um, and the pain uh, is immeasurable. And it's the pain that African-Americans are inflicting on African-Americans. Uh, this goes past the police pain. Uh, uh, this is internal. Police are external. So the internal pain is what we have to begin to focus on. What are we doing to each other? We're passing so much pain and we're destroying the essence of our community. Uh, life has to be valuable to us before it'll be valuable to anybody else. Uh, but the trauma, uh, families never recover. You know, I was holding a uh, six-month-old young boy whose grandfather was killed. He will never know his grandfather. Uh, we have got to address this, this, this culture of killing, uh, and we've got to do it right now. The unborn, we owe it to them. You know, babies are born every day into this community where their lifespan is in jeopardy and they didn't choose the neighborhood in which they were gonna be born into. So we've gotta fix this. Uh, Better Family Life, we will be opening up four neighborhood trauma centers uh, where we will have therapists and counselors and we will have families, a, a place that they can come meet in the neighborhood. We are partnering with neighborhood churches uh, because we gotta deal with this pain. Too often, the pain uh, turns to alcohol, the, the people who are hurt turn to drug abuse, drug usage, which, which then turns to drug, drug abuse. And we've got to get serious about this. We have been too silent for too long uh, uh, as a race. You know, I don't think any other race of people would allow this to go on for so long. Yes, there are some external factors. We have to ask ourselves, well, how do the guns get into our neighborhoods? We have to ask that. But then we have to ask each other, what are we doing even though the guns are coming? Mm -hmm. See, we can't say, oh, we don't manufacture guns. They're putting guns in our neighborhoods. Therefore, go ahead and kill each other. We have to say we don't manufacture the guns. They make their way into our neighborhoods. We know that. But we still have to push back and challenge each other right now. We can't wait another six months, another year. We can't leave this to another generation. This generation has to stand up. And it's, and it's not just St. Louis. It's every major city in America. Uh, uh, I had an opportunity to, to pass Colin Kaepernick, mm -hmm. and I congratulated him for the stand that he took against police brutality. But I had to say, Colin, I'm waiting for a high-profile African-American to focus on what we do to each other. We have to address police brutality, but we have to look at what we do to each other every day. Every city that has a football team has at least three to five African-American murders every day of the week. And we're too silent about it. There's no outcry. And we gotta ask ourselves why. Why do we tolerate this? And what we tolerate is what we teach. By being silent. Yeah, yeah, we've been too silent for too long. And, and it hurts that we're so silent. Yeah. You feel that pain, Sharon? Every day. 
every single day. Um, when I think about um, looking at the news, sometimes I don't even want to turn on the TV because I know that someone died last night or someone got shot this morning. You know, so it's hard to turn on the TV and listen to the stories and to see another mother suffer the pain that I have to suffer with every day and so many other mothers uh, that I've meet, met. You know, um, I have at least three women in my family who've lost a child to gun violence. I wanna talk about that after the break. Stay with us, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Before we went to break, Sharon, you were sharing that you have three family members who have also lost their loved ones to violence. Tell me about that. Um, uh, my nephew, Tony Johnson, was stabbed in the chest, got into a fight, someone stabbed him. Uh, my little nephew, Pierre Childs, 16 years old, murdered on the city streets of St. Louis. Um, then um, Shamar, he was also killed sitting in the car. I have other friends that have lost their children as well. I mean, close friends I've been knowing over 20 years. Uh, and I do have friends that call me when they know someone that has lost a loved one. And they call me to talk to them to try to see if I can help them. I always give them Jane's phone number because I know that they have, uh, have more. services and resources they available. Do. Yeah, and available. it is tough to lose uh, a child and a family member. And I thank you so much for being here, sharing your stories. and giving other families hope okay. and inspiring other families. So thank you so much. Thank oh. you all so much for being thank here. You. Thank you for joining us for The Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download The Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And for news 24-7, download the free Fox 2 and News 11 apps. I'll see you next time.